two Doctor Who fans being positive about Doctor Who and agreeing on its best things, it can only be happy times and places with me, Toby Haydock. Hello, Toby. My name is Jonathan Morris and I'm a writer. I write Doctor Who stories for Big Finish. I write um, articles for Doctor Who magazine. And I've recently written a huge, co-written a huge book for BBC Books called Doctor Who The Monster Vault. Uh, so I'm quite well versed in all things Doctor Who. The story I've chosen is the um, Peter Davison classic adventure from 1984, Warriors of the Deep. Well, welcome back. We've got to bring Warriors of the Deep to a conclusion, and I'm afraid there's no other way but to press play in three, two, one. <clears throat> I'm eating a nut. It's late. I need a bit of sustenance. Welcome. Uh, I hope you're well. Some of you are watching this, some of you are listening. If you're a listener and you don't know about The Watch, uh, these episodes are all available on YouTube. So if you uh, want to delve behind the scenes and see what the colour of the sofa I'm sitting on is and whether I'm wearing any trousers. Uh, actually, you, you you can't even tell in the video if I'm wearing any trousers. Of course I'm not! Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing trousers. You were a fool to be in the recap, Nielsen because you won't get a credit on this episode because it all counts as last week's. Even though you're in this as a corpse, I'd have had a word with my agent and gone, strictly speaking, that's an appearance. Uh, but he's not credited on this episode. My, I remember my housemate saying they didn't understand why he didn't cover his eyes properly, but I think that's the camera getting underneath and showing that he's been blinded. I think they were being a bit... I was with drama students. They tend to. It shocked me how much drama students look for faults in things. As a kid, uh, as a as a teenager, as a student, um, was I always sort of went into things on on the side of the program makers. I wasn't there to put them to the test or challenge them or find flaws in what they were doing, because that's what I wanted to be doing. But I, so I I was sort of deferent to the people that were doing it because they were. They were where I aspired to be. Uh, I remember it being quite an eye-opener. Well, my contemporaries thought most of what we saw was rubbish. <laughs> they could do better. Um, perhaps that's always held me back. My respect for other people. <laughs> no, I've done okay. Uh, and and uh, a lot of my contemporaries are doing other things. And a lot have done very, very well. So... And I, I don't think any of those things are dictated by our respective attitudes towards 1984 television. <laughs> so no parallel should be brought, drawn. Vincent Brimble as Tarpok. Uh, I've mentioned a lot, but he was an actor that I liked because he was Mr. Glover in Grange Hill, who was a bit mean. He wasn't a teacher, he was a governor. Uh, uh, Georgie Glover's dad. Uh, and I'd seen him a few other things, and I'd been surprised... Then to discover, I'd seen him in a Doctor Who, but of course, because you can't see him. And he was an actor that was in a lot at that time. Um, and I think he was, as I say, he was a bit last minute and he was doing somebody a favour. Because um, he's not really a an actor that you would 
stick under latex and he's had a great career since rsc he's done loads and loads of telly still working to this day i think he's been in contention for a couple of things in 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 newer who as well which would be lovely to see because he's a he's a very handsome fellow he's a very nice guy and he's a good actor keeps still working uh, as is his wife janet spencer turner who's a is a lovely actress uh, and their daughter charlotte brimble is an actor uh, and nick brimble vincent's brother was little john in robin hood prince of thieves and his twin brother ian was also an actor but he's retired now so they're quite a family uh, and as i say he's a lovely lovely man with a very a- attractive manner to him and a, and a good actor um done loads of adverts because he's got sort of good he's, he must be he must be 70 now vincent but uh no nice actor oh and i went to see louise jameson in hamlet uh and and dro- drop in on her because she was doing hamlet not far from where my mum lives and vincent was playing the ghost in that so it's a funny old it's a funny old world. Whereas Norman Comer, who plays Ictor, Ictor is a massive part. And he'd been an, a regular in one of the police series. Softy, softy, maybe. Um, and he's still around, but he's never he's never done an interview. I don't think he's ever answered a, a letter bar, maybe signing a picture. So maybe he doesn't think Ictar is his finest hour. I have a picture of him. I know what he looks like. Um, but it's great. I actually think he's really good as Ictar. It's a decent part. He's a you know a chatty chatty monsters don't always work. Um, they work best when they're sort of links or or ones where you can get a sort of performance and a facial expression. And 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 poor old Iktar is, you know, you don't get any eye or mouth movement much really. Not like the John Friedlander half masks. Oh, they will die in a sea of their own blood. I remember Gary Russell saying says Iktar cheerfully or something in in his review. Um, and I think he said, uh, I think he, I, I seem to recall reading later that he'd said, you know, we had to be positive. And I said, there's, you know, there's no way that Warriors of the Deep will ever be considered a classic. Uh, and they edited that down to say, Warriors of the Deep is a classic. Uh, cause the, cause the review was slightly sarky about it. I recall, I remember him saying how cheerful it was when he said, Iktar said they'll die in a sea of their own blood. But yeah, he's, he's behind the latex and his voice has been treated but he carries quite a lot of the dialogue Iktar and it's a it's it's a decent role and I think I, I think he does a decent job all things considered you'll get no help from me Silurian I love that uh, <laughs> uh, that's you know if you've got somebody saying that you want it to be Tom Adams doing it I, I like Tom, Tom Adams is present uh and and Davidson is great. Um And of course there was a question as to you know whether for, for me even though I'd you know I'd read the cave monsters I hadn't seen the Silurians and it's very different but you know for for me the fact that there were he referred to Iktar as the last of the Silurian triad I was basically yeah that's the that's the scientist from the Silurians. If you if you examine it too closely, it doesn't tie in at all. And I know there's been attempts now to to, to have other adventures, you, you know, that, that breach that gap. But it's clearly the intention is to tie Iktar in with the adventure before. And 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 
and and with not all information being available as a as a fan at the time as a young fan that was enough for me to go yeah okay that's cool that you know you yeah you've mentioned the silurian triad that's that's basically the three from from the silurians um uh the, the the music is quite cheeky in this, isn't it? It's it gives it a lot of kind of oh dear, what's going on here? <laughs> sort of asides, sort of cheeky asides from the music. It's like uh, sort of noises off, sort of stage whispers. <laughs> what's going on here? Um, and. Uh, you know, the, the re I think the reason that the Silurians and Sea Devils are creatures worth always bringing back is because they they put us in our place in the sense that to, 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 to them we are vermin. And I think that's a really interesting driver for a story because, you know, we're used to going, no, people invading our planet, we've got every right to defend ourselves. And then suddenly we're in the position where the people doing that have a greater call to that that defense than we do and that's such a brilliant idea um that the, the heart of that where you know we're not even the invaders because this is our planet in inverted commas there's another bit of a wobble there um um and i'm always one to say the sets don't wobble that much in doctor no they don't actually any more than any other program lazy journalism um yeah no it really is but I think I've said that before. Uh, uh, avail yourself of a show called Moth's Ape by Doctor Who Scarf, uh, which is still available in bargain bins everywhere. Um, uh, but no, that that central that central idea that um, uh, you know, again, I could, I sort of you know if we, if if we're on the planet Uxarius or something, we're we're colonising that. So you know, us us being being invaders is is a you know is a is it's still a moral dilemma in a way but it's a bit more cut and dried um whereas whereas this it's not cut and dried because we haven't invaded anywhere here and yet we have basically built our civilization on the ruins of another one and they just woke up um i, I yes yeah, Bulet gets a Bulet gets to be quite heroic in his. Oh yeah, the Doctor just walks out, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, I forgot about that big old set. Um, but yes, I remember. I remember the, the 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 review in Doctor Who magazine seemed to slightly take the Mickey out of this. Um, this this story as a whole, um, and the Sea Devil. because they didn't like the sea devil string vests so they went for this samurai thing which you know when and when they do that with the draconians in frontier in space it it, it works but, but but partially because they're a they're a species that get a performance um and have different characters apart from Salvix, the, the sea devils in this are sort of grunts and that was what johnny Byrne wanted he, he sort of saw them as sort of foot soldiers with the silurians being the sort of mouthpiece but um I think I prefer the string vest. I think it's a better showcase for the mask. I think the mask looks better. The head looks better. Not with the hat on. Um, a couple of dead paroles there. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, 
Although they are, they are decent costumes. They did, and the black color scheme is good. Um, that's a great shot. I like that. The the the, the heads of the, the the heads of the departing soldiers and and uh, Iktar in the the background as they all as he sends them off to kill the doctor. That's a really nice shot, actually. Um, um, so yeah, I was, I was having having sort of said I'm not I'm not sure about the samurai thing. I actually think they're decently decently done as a as a as a concept. Oh, and this of course, yes. The, so the sync up, and that's a great idea. The idea that yes, you can't, uh, you know, you can't initiate uh, a nuclear war without a specially trained person and without you know the brain syncing in with the computer. Um, which for years we were told, actually for years we were told this is this is a complete riff off of the Space 1999 episode, but it's not really. Um, but but that that idea is is quite good. The sort of element of human control of the ultimate uh, nuclear thing that was that loomed so large in 1984, which was a year not named after anything particularly cheerful. Uh, what times we lived in. Um, have the Silurians got... Uh, I just noticed they've got sort of two fingers and they've got like a sort of double finger. Uh, this is great, this stuff, uh, because... Okay, so we've introduced the Hexachroma and all us young dudes have gone, oh, that's, that's a terrible plot thing. But actually, no, because the plot is... The moral dilemma is we've had the means to defeat them all this time. Can we choose a better means? Uh... Uh, and of course we're going to get uh, we're going to oh dear we're going to we're going to have a sea devil killed by the hexachromite which means I don't think it's this one that gets the green goo is it I think it's when Sarvix dies he gets the green goo um, which I think the green goo oh no it's the green goo is there uh, there's a sort of money shot uh <laughs> That's the green goo shot. I'm sure there's a pteroleptil that green goos. The malice is sick green goo. I'm sure I've done another green goo as as part of this. So I'm just trying to think of what stories I've watched. Um, oh, Khalid, he gets a bit of green goo that nearly kills somebody, the person underneath it. And this is, see, this is why we spotted the hexachromat. So that... Uh, Lieutenant Preston, Tara Ward, can can go quite reasonably as far as she's concerned. <laughs> They've killed loads of my mates. They're going to launch the nuclear codes. We've got a reason. We've got a way to kill them. Kill them like this. Uh, and it's the it's the dilemma at the heart of Doctor Who. You've got a, you know, you've got a. We, we think of the Doctor as a man of peace and learning. Uh, so when does he decide? Actually, that. To, to 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 preserve that, I have to kill. But then, of course, all tyrants have have used. Well, I'm preserving what's good at the cost of all these lives, but it's worth it because of what's good. It depends what you decide is worth it, isn't it? Uh, and that depends what side you're on. Oh, um, um. I do miss, I do, uh, and in the modern Silurians, I mean, I, I, I know they've gone for performance and, uh, I, you know, that's uh, that's laudable. And I mean, in that story, you've got 
the uh, the the Hungry Earth. Um, you've got Neve McIntosh and Stephen Moore and Richard Hope. You've got three very good actors. You don't want to stick them behind puckered Siluri gobs. But uh, I I I I do miss the fact that they look like monsters rather than um, you know human beings. The, the you know the human being mouth, nose, and eyes thing. Um, and I think the third eye, yeah, the third because the third eye and the and the point of view in Doctor of the Silurians is a terrific and again weird thing. And they they've got a funny sort of they're a bit more sort of feral. Uh, they've got a funny sort of gait and that guttural voice. Um, yeah, Tom Adams is stoically going through this. Uh, he was a big cricket fan, Tom Adams. In fact, I think he had an MCC tie on. Uh, I got the impression, did I see him smoke a cigar? But I, I don't know, but I got the impression he was a cigar smoker. Uh, had a long brown coat. Um, but yeah, he was a he was a big cricket man. Yeah, look, they've only got, they've got a thumb, two fingers, and then two fingers sort of stuck together. And very stubby fingers. Um, of course, yes, because today you'd probably, you know, go for a bit of choreography with monsters and stuff. But in those days, you know, the... the, the they're encased in latex. They must have been absolutely drenched under studio lights. Oh, many a fine actor has suffered for, for the sake of Doctor Who. Uh, and so this is Salvix, Christopher Farries, uh, who was supposed to be playing the megaphone man in uh, Snake Dance and ended up not doing so. So again, it's interesting how some so many of these actors are sort of miss out on a part, like Robert Ashby, the Borad, who that you know misses, does the BBC Shakespeare instead of this, and then does the Borad a bit later. Christopher Farries miss, misses out in Snake Dance, comes back to this a bit later. Different, totally different director, you know. But you know, shows if people people are around, um, if you're in, if you're in, if you're in their thoughts. Um, Oh, go for it, Preston! No! Oh, they killed Preston, you swines! And Bulick comes to the rescue because Bulick's a hero. Um, Ingrid Pitt was considered for Preston, um, and it's actually no, no uh, smaller a part than Solaire, really. And she'd have probably still got, you know, she'd have still been considered a guest star because uh, all the parts are fairly. Uh, decent sized in this um, Preston would have just been slightly more Estonian or, or I guess was she Estonian whatever uh, wherever uh, Ingrid Pitt was from um, now this and this story was also one of the last is Toby's favourite morbid thing the last to have no deceased cast members can't remember what order it was but there was this there was frontios there was i could if i put my mind to it Dragonfire, and city of death i think were the last uh to have to have no deceased cast members but then ingrid pitt died and and tom adams died um but other than that then clench your fist. I remember my friends laughing at that, that, that he was saying, I'm not going to be responsible, but I'll, I'll, I'll hold my hand out. Um, 
But I think that's because you see the sea devil then grab his hand and make him do it. I think this, the sea devils aren't dexterous enough. Their fingers aren't nimble enough to, to force him to do it. So the actor had to sort of make a compromise. So, And, and, and I, I nonetheless admire uh, Tom Adams' stoicism throughout this episode. Um, so what was I talking about? Can't remember. Um, and of course, yes, it becomes a, this becomes a sort of bloodbath. Um, every everybody dies, um, which which again make make makes this pretty grim stuff. But this is what I wanted as a kid. I wanted. Um, you know, seeing as we've had, you know, I, I love Four to Doomsday now. I love Black Orchid. I love I love Kinder, but but the, I, I found them all a bit sort of perplexing and quite slow as a as as a kid. Whereas the ones like this, where people died and there was action and there were monsters, uh, uh, this was great stuff. Um, although this is quite this is quite confusing. Uh, poor old um, Tom Adams manages to get a, a a death scene that is quite the most indistinct death scene i think in the whole of the bar maybe jacqueline hill uh jacqueline hill in megloss whose, whose death scene is 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 a catalogue of woes uh in terms of how necessary it isn't uh, and how well realized it it isn't um but because tom adams has been so sort of chiseled throughout the whole thing the fact that he barely reacts to something we don't really see uh, 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 is isn't helped by the fact that he's had the same expression sort of throughout. Um, I wish I could remember what I was talking about. It's quite late now. I'm talking to you at 24 minutes past one, because you see, I do this when, when everyone in the house has gone to bed. Um, And, and and of course it's great yeah it's this this is where the doctor steps into the breach and uh and has to be heroic and you know davison really really makes us go through this we you really get the impression that the doctor uh has, you know has really suffered um so yeah you've gone to you've gone to tegan has gone to help uh skibus or tarpok uh which has left Iktar free, but it's not particularly clear. We've seen him sort of recover a bit, but then, then Turlo has to be post dubbed in ADR to go look out, Commander. Which hasn't—I don't think that's happened yet. Yeah. So, oh no, no. Yeah. So, gosh, they're they're. They're both on Iktar, and he's got a gun in his hand. Uh, God, they were wrestling him for a while there, and yeah, Turlo has had to add lookout commander in ADR, and then he decides to shoot Iktar, and Iktar gets a it's his heart blown out, which is quite grim. Uh, but it, it does mean that it's not very clear because there was nowhere in the shot that you could put the laser gun. Uh, uh, and as I say, Tom, Tom Adams looks vaguely like he's got indigestion. Um, and and now now 
he dies, but I say his reaction was pretty much how he reacted to everything else. And yet, I still, I still feel it. I'm because because I, I, I love the way that Mark Strickson delivers that line. I think Gary Russell was said said something about how cheerfully he says that in in the review. Um, and yet, even though I think it's slightly flubbed, I I sort of like Vorschach's death, um, and that shot's great. And Peter Davison, I mean, that makeup is superb. And his delivery of this line is fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, it's fairly straightforward stuff of oh, war is hell and all of that sort of thing. But in Doctor Who terms, I think that's brilliantly, brilliantly done. It's a great way to end the story. No time for a sort of funny thing back to the TARDIS or whatever. Everybody apart from Bulick is dead. Bulick's going to have some explaining to do. Um, and... Uh, and yes, the poor old, not even the poor old commander uh, was able to see it through because of, of, a, of a slightly flubbed uh, shooting that, that, that uh, Turlow had to make sense of in post-production. Um, salute Matt Irvin, what a hero. And Dave Chapman, both of those guys actually were names to conjure if you are watching Doctor Who in the 80s. Um I think I think that's an absolutely perfectly enjoyable Doctor Who story with a few notorious errors or shortcomings, some of which were dictated by, you know, a quick reshuffle in timing and studio and the unavailability of, of the main visual effects designer. So I think there are Doctor Who stories that have committed greater crimes. Uh, and I... Even even if I can't necessarily justify my reasons for liking it, I still do. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's you know, gu guilty pleasure, I suppose, in a, if, if you like. But, oh, I'm entertained by a piece of entertainment. It's done its job, surely. It's done its job, and I'm and I'm not looking at it loftily or askance. I'm I'm perfectly happy to spend four episodes in the company of the crew of Sea Base Four. So, uh, well, my favourite. Uh, I love. There should have been another way. Uh, so I think that's got to be my favourite thing for episode four, or my bonus thing, one or the other. Uh, I've got to choose one more thing. Um, uh, well, I think, I, th I, th I think the, the, the nuclear thing and the sync operator and the, the, the premise of the, the two power blocks, I think that was, you know, very important at the time, very, very resonant at the time. And I think, you know, it's got a science fiction twist with the, with the, with the sync operator having to be hooked up that that gives it something that's not just you know uh, uh, a lazy reflection of the times as it were and it gives the story a drive and it helped and it gives the plot something to hook on and it gives gives something for some of the characters to to have so yeah the the nuclear face-off thing with the sync operator element and there should have been another way are my two favorite things from episode four of warriors of the deep or one from episode four and one bonus. What is Johnny Morris 
going to wow us with for his. He's been quite uh, brief, hasn't he? And my best thing about episode four is Tom Adams, his performance as Commander Vorschach, um, where he, I mean, he could have been James Bond. He, he nearly, he did play a sort of James Bond in the 1970s, as well as being the voice and face of um, DFS um, carpets. So, uh, yeah, Tom Adams. And then I'm allowed uh, my bonus thing. My bonus thing is that the premise of the story, with this um, this underground, undersea base, where you don't know which sides it is, um, doing run-throughs for a nuclear war in the future, is rather similar to the Out of the Unknown play, Level 7, as produced by Irene Schubick. And I'm, I'm convinced that Toby will not be able to resist the temptation of uh, mentioning mentioning something to do with Irene Schubick. Or Rudolf Cartier, because it's direct. Right. My, my chance to plug my wares. I have. Johnny always takes the Mickey out of my Who's Round podcast because I always mention that uh, if ever if anyone's ever worked with Rudolf Cartier. So I thought he was going to say Toby won't resist the fact that it's directed by Rudolf Cartier, who directed Quatermass, because Johnny mocks me about that. Um, and I nearly chose Tom Adams, but I thought I might be doing so archly. Uh, but I'm happy for him to be chosen. Love a bit of Tom Adams. And yeah, he was. And he was considered for James Bond. Um, Johnny's going to plug his wares. Okay. Um, that's all I have. My, my chance to plug my wares. I have um, lots of Doctor Who stuff coming up. I have uh, um, Genetics of the Daleks might have come up by now. Uh, I have Ghosts with David Tennant and River Song. I have... River Song, Queen of the Mechanoids, uh, the Fourth Doctor and Leela in um, Day of the Comet. Uh, I have the Blogs of Doom in Doctor Who magazine, get that every every month. And um, I have the Monster Vault. So get all that. Um, and who knows, by the time this is um, this is played out, I'll probably have written another 20 Big Finish audios, two books, and a load of magazine articles. So I uh, hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, cheers. Oh, thanks, Johnny. He's a very witty man. He's got a very smart and underplayed sense of humour but uh, that, that, that shoots through all of his writing. And he's a very, very humble and very nice. Bizarrely, the recording cut out there. It had worked throughout the entire thing. And then when I tried to call Johnny Morris a nice man, the microphone flatly refused to accept that information. But he is. He's a very nice man. And so I'm saying it again for the record. And it also gives me a chance to mention Dick Dixon in the 21st century, which is written by Johnny and produced by him too. He got me to direct it. Uh, I'm a guest star in the first episode. The series regulars include Kieran Hodgson. Oh, brilliant, talented, funny Kieran Hodgson. Uh, Terry Malloy, uh, a.k.a. Davros, and loads of voices for Big Finish. Uh, Suze Kempner, who's a multi-talented vocal performer. Jez Fielder from uh, various Big Finishes. Dan Starkey, Strax himself, and another absolutely brilliant vocal performer. The comedian Alison June-Smith. Uh, rounds out the cast of uh, this spoof of Dan Dare, Buck Rogers and any other science fiction show you'd care to mention. Just Google Dick Dixon in the 21st century and there's a lot of fun to be had there. We've done a Kickstarter that's been successful so more episodes will be produced but the pilot is out there now waiting. 
to be found. So it's not a pilot of the future, it's a pilot of the right now. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Jonathan Morris, who can be found on Twitter at JohnnyMorris1973. No H in the Johnny. Thanks to this podcast's patrons, who include Mark Owen, Mark Dakin, Ian Gillespie, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, Dave Hoskin, Jessica Jones, Andrew Jordan, Clive Lewis, Guy Lambert, James Lark, Gavin McLean, David Matthewman, John McClay, Ross McPhillips, Stuart Mitchell, Nathan Moore, Matthew Newton, Melvin Pena and Keith Pirrie. The music for this podcast is specially composed by Dave Gates and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. You can become a patron and qualify for early releases and exclusive materials. There's a whole exclusive podcast called Far Too Much Information, which goes really, really deep into early script drafts and arcana about supporting actors and all sorts of other stuff. It's got a great soundtrack too. Patronage is possible from as little as £3 a month, and you do get charged immediately, um, and can be found at Patreon dot com forward slash toby haydoke now that's a commitment uh, although there is a 10 percent reduction if you commit to a year up front uh, but yeah as i say it is a commitment so if you want to do a one-off instead ko-fi.com forward slash toby haydoke you can donate whatever you like to the running costs and time and energy that are expended upon these things but i know that times are tough so if you are unable or not inclined to do that and that's absolutely fine just listening is justification enough but hey you could go to your podcast outlet and give these a five star rating and perhaps a few positive words of review and maybe go into cyberspace and say nice things too we're at at haydoke podcasts on twitter so follow there as well and include them in all the nice things that you might want to say Uh, any of those things would be really really helpful in this day and age where the state of one's algorithms is uh is a really good sign if they're in tip-top condition once you give my algorithms a tweak you can go to my youtube channel and subscribe there and you can also go to twitch.tv forward slash XS Malarkey, the letter X, the letter S, Malarkey, M-A-L-A-R-K-E-Y. There's a live comedy show there. I'll be on it with four comedians from the worldwide comedy circuit every Tuesday at 8pm GMT. But even now, there's an archive of stuff and clips and past shows and all sorts. That's twitch.tv forward slash XS Malarkey.